Drive Time Radio with New York Vinny. Saturday morning to you. It is Drive Time Radio in the air, 8 to 9 every Saturday morning right here on Alternative Talk, 1150 KKNW and around the world on the www at uh, 1150kknw.com. So if you're listening here in Seattle, yes, that was a sliver of sunshine we saw yesterday, just a sliver. It just it lasted from it was a it was a fleeting moment, but it was something, right? Uh, as we've experiencing uh, one of the rainiest periods I could ever remember here in Seattle. Now I've been gone the last few years, so uh, there may have been something going on while I was gone. But I'll tell you, you know, uh, I live, I've lived here almost twenty years, and that's um, it has been pouring and pouring and pouring. But you know what? If you live here, that's what you sign up for, right? Meanwhile, around the other side of the uh, the country, back in Pittsburgh, uh, they're digging out of snow, which is what they were doing the weekend I got there 10 years ago. It was a snowmageddon at 18 inches and another 10 on top of that. So between the two, the weather is uh, it's called winter, folks. That's what it is. We have a good show for you today, regardless of the weather, whether it's sunny or rainy or snowy or uh, hot, whatever, we'll give you a, a good show to keep your mind off the weather. And today is no exception. Working backwards, we will uh, go for a little road test, as we do every week. This week, it's the Honda Pilot Black Edition, which is their midsize SUV. And uh, I'll tell you about the reaction I got when I was driving along Alki. Uh, with that one from the you know the young hot rodders who love their Hondas, it's a pretty interesting, um, pretty interesting reaction from uh, that uh, bunch, that group of people. So we'll talk about that car. Mose Noland is a mechanic for, or was a mechanic. I mean, he's 92 years old now. Uh, he's 92 or 93. Mose Noland worked on. The Ford GT engines. As you know, tomorrow night is Oscar night. And some people, some people think that the Ford versus Ferrari movie has a pretty good shot at winning an Oscar. I think it's nominated for four or five different categories. So it'll probably win something, especially in those sound categories. You know, the ones that they do like all at once when they come back from a commercial break. So Ford versus Ferrari, Mose Noland is the mechanic, uh, one of the mechanics who worked on that project. We'll talk to him coming up in our interview segment this morning. Our cartoon of the week, Sammy Davis Jr. drops by with uh, singing a little song about a car that you probably know, but you don't know it being sung by Sammy Davis Jr. Hang on to that. And, of course, we'll start it out as we usually do with our top five. Time now for this week's top five. The five things you need to know about cars and car culture this week. All right, there's a couple of local stories that we're going to lead off with here that I think bear some uh, attention. And we will uh, we'll start off with uh, antique 
and collect your car license plates. Now, if you are an antique car owner or a collector car owner in the state of Washington, you go down, you pay a one-time fee to get your license plates, and then you don't pay anything anymore. That's it. You're done. It's not like every year where you have to get car tabs or anything like that, get them renewed, pay uh, whatever it is to renew them. Once you get them, once you got them, you slap them on the car, and that's it. I forget what the fee is that you pay for the plates. At least 25 bucks or something like that. But then you're good. Well, the state legislature wants to change that. They want to charge you uh, if you are a collector or an antique car, if you have those type of plates on your car, which I think you have to be 25 years or older to get those, uh, especially now with cars lasting longer. Uh, they want to set it up so that you pay for your uh, collector car tabs every five years. Um, and so there is legislature that is uh, proposing that. I believe it moves early this week. So I know the LeMay Museum put out an email on it. And uh, many people uh, that are in the automotive industry, especially collect the car, uh, have you know old auto parts and so on and so forth, uh, are going to be in Olympia this week, I believe, to try to get this bill defeated. I got to, you know, I, I got to be honest with you. The, um... If I have to pay for my collector car tabs, and the reasoning behind not paying for them, by the way, is that you don't drive the car as much. You know, obviously, you get cheaper insurance on the um, on the idea that a collector car stays in somebody's garage. It comes out. Maybe you take it for a ride on Sunday. As a matter of fact, I think the law says, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that you can only drive it. Um, a certain amount of miles or a certain period of time each week. So it's intended to license a car so that you can take it to car shows and exhibitions and parades. But we all know that people abuse that. We all know that people who have a 25-year-old car just go and they get the collector plates or the uh, uh, so that... Um, you, uh, so you don't have to pay car tabs anymore. Now, if you get caught, it's a fine. So I guess f- people figure, well, you know, if I get caught with this, I'll pay the fine. It's still cheaper than uh, five or ten years of car tabs, right? So I'm a little torn on this one. Although I think it's a great thing that the state affords you the opportunity to have these license plates for nothing except the fee for the license plates. I do think that if they ask you to pay for them every five years, that it's not, listen, if you have the kind of money to own a collector car these days, when you look at what these cars are going for, there's nobody that can claim that this is a hardship. Now, it all depends on how much they want to charge you. But I just look at it and say, you know what? If you're going to charge me once every five years, for my car tabs, that's still a pretty darn good bargain. And I don't know, maybe you could, maybe you want to argue with me about it. Maybe you want to, you know, send me an email or something like that, tell me I'm wrong, explain the other side of the situation. But I just, um, 
I'm one of those people that say, you know what, if you can afford to own a classic car, you can afford car tabs every five years. They're not asking you to do it every year. So if you own your collector car 10 years, you'll be asked to do it twice. And I don't know how many people own their collector cars 10 years. There's a lot of buying and selling going on. And the price on these cars has appreciated so much that, I don't know, I find it hard to believe that anybody would argue with that. But if it's once every five years, personally, I don't have a problem with it. But I could see where people would. And once again, maybe they can clamp down on the abuse. Maybe they could raise the bar a little bit, cause uh, 40 years or something like that. You know, do it where if you're 25 years to 40, you, uh, you know, you have to pay every five years. If you're 40 and above, you pay it once and that's it. You pay for the plates and that's it. So that's one of the, um, one of the things uh, that uh, are on the top five this week. The second one that's local is there is a proposal to... Stop the sale of gasoline cars in the state of Washington in uh, a number of uh, years coming down the road. I think it's 2025 20, 20, uh, or 2030, something like that. So if this legislation was to go through, which is starting to gain some ground, you would not be able to buy a brand new gasoline-powered, internal combustion-powered car in the state of Washington after a certain date. Um, I got to tell you, folks, from everything I see in the automobile industry, you probably are not going to be able to buy one anyway. I really think kind of the market is going to dictate what they do. I do not want to see people ban uh, gasoline cars from the roads altogether, and that's something that I feel is a road that they might start to go down here, and I would not like to see that. If you own a, a gasoline-powered car, until that thing is uh, it can no longer run, you should be able to drive it and sell it as long as you keep it in good repair. Now, if they did, if they expanded a smog check, so that you had to, uh, you know, check the car to make sure that it was in good working order, or a state inspection that made that made sure that the car was in good working order. I wouldn't have a problem with that. I'd rather see him do that than, than do the uh, collect the car tabs. But that's something uh, that's going to be coming up. I tried to get a hold of the guy who's behind this thing, and I couldn't get a hold of him for today. So we'll have him on in the future. But is it a good idea? Um, again, I think it's the future. I don't think that uh, as you look around, you're going to see anything but electric cars. Maybe you'll see hydrogen uh, cell cars, fuel cell cars, things like that. But for the most part, I think within 10 years, because these electric cars are becoming more and more um, mainstream, it is the wave of the future. Not even hybrids, but electric cars, all electrics there um, you know, with, with, with the advent of these sporty electric cars, uh, the Porsches and uh, the Mustang Mach-E, you're going to see cars that are going to have great range, very convenient. 
you'll be able, there'll be plenty of infrastructure just so that you'll be able to charge these cars up while you go have a hamburger or something like that. The range on them is going to be, uh, you know, in the five, 600 mile area fairly soon. I think that, uh, I don't think it's a problem. Um, big changes at Ford. Their old management team has uh, kind of moved in a different direction. They had bad numbers, uh, profit numbers this past quarter, and they decided to make a change there. So the people at Ford are uh, looking around today. Uh, the World Car Awards are out, and uh, those will be awarded at the New York International Auto Show that's coming up in April. And so we'll see if your car is uh, one of the World Car Awards cars. There are uh, a number of really um, uh, solid cars in that uh, World Car Award thing. Uh, World Car Awards, we'll post them up on the drive time page so you can see if your car is uh, one of those uh, cars. And that's your, uh, in the World Car Awards, uh, Scotty Reese, who we had on last week, talking about the Super Bowl ads, uh, is one of the judges of that World Car Award um, thing, so uh, award, which is, you know, listen, it's like the Academy Awards. They give out a lot of awards. I don't know, some of them good, some of them bad. Um, just do uh, the top 10 World Car of the Year finalist. The Hyundai Sonata, the Kia. How was that Sonata commercial? Did you like that? I thought that was cool in the Super Bowl. The Kia Soul EV, the Kia Telluride. The Land Rover Range Rover Evoque, the Mazda 3, the Mazda CX-30, the Mercedes-Benz CLA, the Mercedes-Benz GLB, the Volkswagen Golf, and the Volkswagen T-Cross. All of them uh, the finalists in the top 10 world car, uh, the world car of the year. Was this also world urban cars? The top one there is the Kia Soul. Uh, we're a luxury car. The BMW X5 is at the top of that list. The Porsche Taycan, which is that electric sports car I was telling you about. BMW M8, uh, which is a spectacular car. I drove one of those and some other awards, too. We'll have Scotty back on to talk about the awards. And we will be live in New York for the New York International Auto Show coming up in April. So we have all of that happening. And that's your top five for this week. Uh, coming up, Mose Noland from um, one of the mechanics who worked on the Ford F- GT40 from the movie Ford versus Ferrari will join us next right here on Drive Time Radio. Buckle up for safety, buckle up. Buckle up for safety, always buckle up. Pull your seat belt snug, give an extra tug. Buckle up for safety, buckle up. Buckle up for safety, buckle up. Buckle up for safety, always buckle up. Show the world you care by the belt you wear. Buckle up for safety when you're driving. Buckle up, buckle up for safety, buckle up. The National Safety Council says seat belts can and do save lives every day. 
Giving local voices a chance to shine. Alternative Talk 1150. And back with you here on Drive Time Radio on Alternative Talk 1150 KKNW. New York, Vinny, hanging with you on a Saturday morning. The movie Ford versus Ferrari. I don't know if you got a chance to see it. Um, if you didn't, rush to your movie t- uh, theaters like your hair is on fire to uh, go and watch this movie, to go and see, uh, I think, a spectacular movie. I think they did a great job with this thing. And I guess people that go to the movies do, too, uh, because it is nominated for several Academy Awards. And uh, the job that uh, uh, Matt Damon uh, did is Carol Shelby and um, um, Christian Bale is uh, Ken Miles, the British racing driver, uh, were really in, incredible, incredible uh, uh, work in this thing. Uh, it was nominated for, let's see, Best Picture, Best Sound Mixing, Best Sound Editing, and Best Film Editing. Uh, but the Best Picture is uh, the one that I think um, it, I don't know if it's going to win it. There was a great article in GQ that said that it should win it. Anyway, we got a chance to catch up with one of the gentlemen who was there when this was all happening, Mose Noland was a mechanic uh, at Ford, an engine builder, and he was picked as one of the people to work on this project. I mean, this was Ford's uh, space project. They wanted to beat Ferrari in uh, the road racing circuits in Europe, and they were charged with exactly uh, that to go out there and build a car that would beat the Ferraris out on that uh, GT circuit, and they certainly did. So let's hear now from uh, Mose Nolan. Mose, good morning. How you doing? Mose Nolan joins us, longtime employee of the Ford Motor Company. Mr. Nolan, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Uh, we're doing fine here in Dearborn. Good, good. Are you out of the snow already? Well, uh, we've got plenty of it. We got an early blast here uh, a few days ago, but... Uh, uh, the good Lord has put the sunshine on us and started to take it away. There you go. See, now you'll be able to, t- to roll that, that Mustang out of the garage real soon and take it back out in the snow. You <laughs> I, you were there, I huh? I mean, you really, it's it's amazing to me that, that you are the, the, the living embodiment of somebody who was there and watched this entire thing unfold as an employee of uh, Ford Motor Company is one of the people who were so involved with the program. I- explain to to our audience a little bit about how you got how you got to work on the GT cars that eventually knocked Ferrari off. Well, in uh, 1955, uh, Ford hired me as an experimental mechanic in their experimental engine build area, and at that time we were working on. Uh, pre-production engines for testing to go into the uh, production cars. We worked uh, about five years in advance of the, of the showroom. And as uh, time went on and they got acquainted with uh, uh, my skills anyway, I'll speak about my skills and the way I handled my uh, assignments, um, I was steered towards assembling NASCAR engines. At that time, the NASCAR boys uh, took care of the chassis, the racing, and trying to acquire sponsorship. It was kind of a poor boy operation back then. 
uh, Ford Engineering furnished all the engines. Uh, we would build, uh, assemble uh, NASCAR engines, and then uh, have, um, every Thursday, a uh, transporter from the south would come up and drop off a bunch of used engines from the last weekend, take on fresh engines, and uh, the next Thursday, they would just re- repeat that journey. And uh, that's uh, how I got acquainted with the techniques uh, and uh, the particular precision skills to build race engines. Well, then came along uh, 1963, they did, Mr. Ford decided to go to Indianapolis, and I was selected to hand build uh, Indianapolis prototype and test engines. And after that program ended, uh, right at the very end of it, uh, they uh, they decided that they're going to take on the 24-hour uh, Le Mans uh, circuit and uh, asked me to join them. And how how was the the, the thought of because Ferrari had owned that circuit uh, for years and years and years? What was the the thought among um, you know, the, the kind of people that were working on these engines and on these cars when uh, Mr. Ford said, I, I want to knock Ferrari off. I mean, it seemed to be a challenge to everybody, but did people look at each other and go, is this guy's crazy, or what happened? Well, you know, a- after, after all the trials and tribulations of getting around Indianapolis and winning it with Jimmy Clark and, uh, and Colin Chapman's Lotus, uh, we felt like we had a, a good chance at it. And, uh, of course, uh, we might have been a little overzealous because it is a very uh, high visual race, and it's very trying for driver and machine to go the 24 hours at that pace. But, anyway, uh, they set out to do that, and and I was very fortunate to be one of a a couple of uh, engine personnel that was put off into a clean room to assemble these engines. So, uh, and 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 the prior to that, uh, Le Mans is attempted by some privateers and Allen Mann and our our little 289, what we call our small block engine. And it was, uh, you know, it was probably prob- quite problematic in the in the first few races attempt, and it just was have the brutality to handle the Mozon straight for for 24 hours. So the idea come along to, hey, we've got a brute of an engine in a 427 NASCAR engine. Why don't we trade horsepower for durability? So that was uh, the plan in which to modify the NASCAR engine and detune it and uh, get it to where it slipped into the Mark II, at, uh, Mark IV at that time, and um, go testing and our confidence began to climb at that time because we really thought what we knew about some test trips at Le Mans with 10 miles that uh, we stood a pretty good chance. Now, and we're talking to Mose Noland uh, from former employee of the Ford Motor Company who was there when the Ford versus Ferrari thing was actually going on back in the 60s. When you... Um, when you started hooking up with guys like Carol Shelby, and I know you guys knew um, um, Holman and Moody from uh, from before, uh, you know, you'd worked with them. Uh, did you all guys, everybody get in a big room and talk about how this was going to happen, or did it just kind of organically happen? Uh, how was it when Shelby came on board with this project? 
Well, um, most of us motorheads were familiar what uh, Shelby was doing and what he could do, you know, and we kind of thought that he was, at that time he was cream of the crop, and and we really uh, cheered the relationship that was growing between them. So we thought that, well, if he can handle the car, we'll do our very best in giving him horsepower, torque, and durability to, to get it around. And, of course, the Shelby team uh, was just excellent boys to work with, and it was also uh, kind of exciting to think that we were going to work with them shoulder to shoulder. So uh, it resulted in a good race relationship, and we prepared ourselves for go over there and uh, achieve that victory. Now, um, what was what was the atmosphere like in those days around the track? I know today it's so different. Uh, our lives, everything has become so sanitized. In those days, it was um, it was basically you could take a piece of bailing wire, literally, and hold something together and send a car out on the track. Well, that was the way it was in early NASCAR days and, and any racing prior to that. But uh, that we we knew that we had to uh, select our best materials and use our best machine finishes and our best test methods if we were going to park participate in that arena, the arena of Le Mans. That's, uh, we thought that that was the ultimate test on man machine, and of course we were focused on making the machine uh, worthy of it. You guys worked hard, obviously, as you look in the, uh, the movie, uh, and you see the movie, obviously there was a lot of hard work going on, not just with um, the drivers and uh, the designers and everything like that, but all the mechanics and everybody. But was it fun? I mean, was it um, was it was it fun back then when you were doing all of this work, or did you even realize what was going on? Well, it, first of all, it, it was it was serious work, and and the, I'm not quite sure the movie showed uh, its viewers the amount of work and and the, and the intense focus it takes to put together a machine that'll take uh, the 24-hour race and, and be competitive. But anyway, it is a very exciting movie, and, uh, geez, I just I just hope it's a blockbuster and uh, it goes a long way. But uh, at the time, you know, it, it was a job, a job that we knew that we had to take seriously, and there was a few of us there that were dependent on to be there uh 10, 12 hours a day, uh, no excuses, no sick time and stuff like that. And I was quite willing to do that because I thought that this was quite a privilege to be able to work on uh, a, a program as important as that. That one was. That, that was a great year for Ford. I mean, you guys won Le Mans. You introduced the Mustang to a year and a half earlier. And uh, I don't know if a lot of people noticed, but Ford also built the um, – the um, space headquarters in uh, in Houston. You guys were the, were the contractor, one of the major contractors, uh, and also put that whole thing together that uh, eventually got us to the moon. <laughs> yeah, it is, that is kind of amazing, isn't it? Uh, well, uh, I know here in Dearborn, uh, you know, what we call Ford country, uh, it was a booming year, and I know that we had our fingers in a lot of pie, but us who, uh, those of us that were uh, assigned to the Le Mans 24-hour program, um, we, we, we were narrowly focused on what we had to do and, and how we were going to get it done. 
uh, our confidence was high because we did fare pretty good at Indianapolis. So uh, we we knew that uh, we we had the techniques, we had the materials, and we had the engineering background uh, to go after that victory. Uh, Where were those engines built? Were they built in Dearborn or were they Cleveland's or Windsor's? Or where did those engines actually come out of? Well, uh, the material came from all of our engine plants. We've got plants that specialize in blocks and heads. We've got uh, plants that specialize in connecting rods, uh, crankshafts, and so on. And uh, so they were built, they were assembled in the experimental build area of the engineering area right here in Dearborn, right uh, adjacent to our wonderful Greenfield Village and the Henry Ford Museum. We have an engineering building there that has uh, uh, turned out such engines, plus the engines for our cars and trucks that went through our showrooms. How much of what you did and what you worked on in those racing engines and, and other stuff too, I mean, not just engines, but brakes and other improvements that you made to those cars, made it into production vehicles? Well, um, our, one, a lot of people don't, don't realize that Ford really took their racing serious. And, uh, of course, when you see the movie, it's got quite a bit of Hollywood in it, and it doesn't really uh, portray our seriousness, uh, the company's seriousness in motorsport. But at the all throughout our racing programs, whether it's NHRA drag racing or the Baja 1000 or Le Mans or Indy, uh, we turn in regular reports on progress of technology, especially um, new materials and new machining methods, uh, finer, uh, tighter dimensions on parts, and uh, and anything that will uh, assure durability and reduce friction and produce horsepower. What do you um, what do you think today when you see a seven hundred ninety seven horsepower car that rolls off of a showroom floor and you see the engines uh, today and I'm still staying with internal combustion right now um, but obviously now with hybrid and so on and so forth when you look at these engines and you look at the amount of horsepower per cubic inch and uh, you know in your day I think it was one to one you were looking to get a horsepower per cubic inch. Now it looks like they get, they're achieving, uh, you know, three and four horsepower per cubic inch. What, what, what do you think when you see that? Well, uh, when you're in the middle of it, you kind of understand uh, your potential of achieving that kind of a gain. Uh, but, again, we have to ha- uh, hand our credit to the materials people and uh, the machining, and now we're into you know, the CAD design and things like that, where you can make a lot of decisions on uh, the right way to do it. And, uh, I mean, it, there's no doubt that the, the, the today's engineer and his computer works a lot faster and more accurately than the slide rule. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, really. Uh, you had to build the connecting rods, put them in a watch and break before you could uh, come up with something that, that, that worked yeah. right, right? Yeah. And, uh, probably, and another, probably had a box outside of the garage door with stuff that you would look at as you were going home saying, I'll never yeah. try that again. Another breakthrough that we uh, achieved on uh, the Le Mans program was uh, we come up with a new testing tool 
I call it a tool, but it, it was actually a dynamometer cell. But uh, Ken Miles had, had done some uh, early testing at Lamar, and while they were there, uh, they actually uh, recorded uh, engine uh, positions, uh, uh, operating positions of you know throttle and and a, a lot of the specifics of the drivetrain. They actually recorded on a punch tape, and they had that. Basically, at that time, it was thought that they would plan race strategy because of how the engine performed at certain spots on the track. Well, then our test engineers at Dynamometer said, well, geez, you know, with that tape, we should be able to build a, a dynamometer that uh, accepts the whole drive line of the race car and, and you know, turn the switch on Friday night and, and while you're away on the weekend, come back and you, you've either run or busted within the 24-hour period. So um, they hastily put that together. What they did is they took two uh, General Electric dynamometers and mounted them on the bed plate, uh, the same distance apart as rear wheels in a race car, and we dropped the whole uh, drivetrain in between that. And then our uh, machine shops and the instrumentation people was hastily fabricating from basically from three by five cards and, and verbal instructions. So when that thing was uh, put together in a very quick time, uh, we were able to drop a mule on there, what we call a mule engine, and the race car drivetrain, and make all the adjustments on these servos and the timers. And uh, they were air-actuated servos that did the shifting, did the clutching, did the braking, did the exhilarator. Uh, to match that uh, that uh, position punch tape. And uh, sure enough, we had a dynamometer that mimicked the engine's requirements on the whole nine-mile circuit of, of that track. And, and for that time... Uh, back in the 60s, the middle 60s, that was revolutionary. I mean, nobody had done that before, right? That is correct, and that's we're kind of proud of that because uh, it was immediately recognized how valuable that is in uh, <clears throat> thoroughly testing your, uh, your production uh, engines and other components of a, a production car. Well, Mose, it's it's a, such a pleasure to get to talk to you and get to uh, get a little bit of the history of this. Uh, does does the fun of racing come across in this? I haven't seen the movie yet, but does the fun of what was going on then? I know the serious will come across. Seriousness will come across, but does the fun of what was going on come across? Oh, uh, certainly. It, uh, like I say, it's a very entertaining um, movie because we have uh, in that movie. Uh, Ford Motor Company had loaned the producer uh, actual film footage, so you're going to see some very exciting race cars and some very exciting racing, and then you're going to see uh, uh, our executives uh, being depicted there uh, and the relationship between uh, Shelby and Ken Miles and different members of Shelby's crew. You're going to see the relationship between our Ford executives and and those folks, so uh, it it does fill in a lot of gaps for the, the for the per people that are interested in 
the 24-hour race and what occurred and how it occurred and so on. There's uh, some Hollywood and there's some uh, true story right in there. Mose, it's such a pleasure to catch up with you. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes out of your Saturday morning to talk to us. We really appreciate it. And uh, continue good luck. And uh, and thank you for everything you did to get uh, Ford and to uh, America, really, um, you know, in, into the uh, Le Mans and the Formula One racing scene. It was real. It's really um, for people who lived through that time like I did. I was a little kid, but I was into racing. It was uh, it was really a, it was as big as the moonshot in 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 automotive circles when Ford beat Ferrari. Most thank you very much. Well, thank you so much for uh, looking in on us. I was honored to uh, to speak with you and uh, your audience. So. Get out and look at the movie this weekend and, and well, maybe get it an Oscar. Who knows? <laughs> you never know. Most thanks so much. God bless. Thank you, sir. Bye now. Take care. Mose Nolan from four, he's uh, 90 years old. He was, as you heard, he started in 1955 um, uh, working on wrenching Ford engines. He got into the racing division, and he is uh, he's a legend. He's uh he, he's been there, and he's one of the few remaining people uh, on this earth that saw it all. And we will see how that movie fares in the Academy Awards coming up on Sunday night. When we come back, we go from the Academy to the Grammys as Sammy Davis Jr. checks in with our cartoon of the week right here on Drive Time Radio. I'm New York Vinny on Alternative Talk 1150 KKNW. No matter how you say it, cruce con la verde, en el medio pierde. It always means the same thing. Attraversate soltanto al segnale verde, mai nel mezzo della strada. Cross at the green, not in between. Geht arriba de gas, no den wenses green, nicht ergis zwischen den mitten vom block. It means cross at the corner, never in the middle of the block. Don't walk until the light turns green. Always cross at corners where motorists expect you and where you can see them. Cross at the green, not in between. In any language, it's a way of life. Don't cross the street in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle of the block. Don't cross the street in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle of the block. Use your eyes to look up. Use your ears to hear. Walk up to the corner when the coast is clear. And wait, and wait until you see the light turn green. Don't cross the street in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle of the block. Don't cross the street in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk 1150. I'm back with you here on Alternative Talk 1150, KKNW, Drive Time Radio. New York, Vinny, checking in with you. Saturday morning, we'll have our uh, road test, uh, Drive Time Road Test for this week. The Honda Pilot coming up here in just a couple of minutes. But we got to do our cartoon of the week because we all need it. Boy, I tell you, you talk about a week where we could use a little song in our hearts and all smile on our faces. This is it, so I went back in time. You know, back in 1966, NBC 
which had a bunch of crazy shows on the air to begin with, introduced a show with Jerry Van Dyke and Ann Southern. And Ann Southern, who used to um, be part of Steve Allen's crew, was a uh, great actress in the uh, 30s and 40s, um, played the part of My Mother the Car. She was a 1928 porter. A lot of people thought this was a wacky show, but it was kind of cute. I like wacky shows. I liked uh, My Mother the Car at that time. And I think if you were into cars, you really liked that um, that show because it was, uh, you know, the, the crazy travails of uh, Jerry Van Dyke and his family. And I think he was the only one that knew uh, that the car would talk to him. But it was kind of, you know, it was Mr. Ed. It was NBC's answer to Mr. Ed. And Mr. Ed was a talking horse. Jerry Van Dyke, he had a talking car. Everybody had to have some inanimate object. Well, a horse is not an inanimate object, but some kind of object that doesn't talk, talk to you. Why not? The most popular show back then, one of the most popular shows was My Favorite Martian. So you think the world's crazy now. It was nuts back then. Now, the original song was sung uh, by Dick Van Dyke, but Sammy Davis Jr. decided to, he liked the show and he liked the song so much that he decided to work it into his Las Vegas act. So here, instead of the regular theme that you would hear in the TV show, here's Sammy Davis Jr. taking a swing at the theme show from My Mother the Car. Puts another verse in there, too, that I never heard on the TV show. Maybe it was at the end credits or something like that. But, uh, again, you you take a a theme song that maybe is not so cool, and you add a little Sammy Davis Jr. to it, and all of a sudden the song becomes... Pretty darn cool, and that's our cartoon of the week here on Drive Time Radio. If you have a request, you can go to our Facebook page at uh, uh, go to Facebook and search Drive Time Radio and TV, and lots of fun things going on on that Facebook page. I put uh, things up there during the week. No politics, no, just all about cars, and uh, we also give away prizes through that Facebook page. So. Uh, if you want to go on there, and you can always talk to us on that page uh, during the week, ask us questions about cars. I know we've, uh, over the past couple of weeks, we've actually had some people uh, write in and ask us about buying cars and so on and so forth, and uh, we do that as well. We help you if you are in the market for a car and uh, you don't know which way to go, you don't know what you want, you want some professional uh, advice, professional opinion on which way to go when you buy a car, uh, what you need. If you don't know what you need, we can sit down with you and consult you and tell you exactly what um, is out there that will fit what you need. Buying cars, uh, you know, one of the top three decisions you're going to make in your life. And certainly uh, it's one that you should probably not do alone if you don't know what you're doing. So if, you have, if you're in that position, you want to buy a car and you don't know what you're doing, jump on our Facebook page, and we'll be happy to, uh, to help you out uh, do that, spend some time with you if that's uh, something that you're interested in. I've done it, as I say, for uh, a number of people and have never had anybody call me up and say, Vinny, you got me the wrong car. I hate this car. I can't stand it. Well, actually, I think I had one person do that one time, but I think it was, uh, I think they went through a life change in the middle of it. But anyway, 
you can certainly do that. And again, or you can always contact me at on email at Vinny at drivetime dash radio dot com. That's Vinny at drivetime dash radio dot com. We're working on our website as well at drivetime dash radio dot com. And we will uh, we're updating that. And as soon as we get that all updated, well, you can go there now and look at some of the stuff. Uh, but as I said, we are working to update that as well. And you can always contact us through there. All right, we come back. We uh, take the Honda Pilot out for a ride. It's the Drive Time Road Test coming up next right here on Drive Time Radio. I'm New York Vinny. This is Alternative Talk 1150 KKNW. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly... It's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Want to hear something different from talk radio? Keep your dial on Alternative Talk 1150. And we're back with you here on Drive Time. New York Vinny hanging out with you on a, uh, well, I can see some sun peeking through the clouds out there. Who knows, we might even actually get a fairly nice day today. I wouldn't count on it, but who knows. We're due for one of those here uh, I know they say it's going to be clearing up over the weekend, so hopefully we'll uh, get a chance to go out. We have a new feature that we're working on for the show called the Drive Time Road Trip, where we go out to different, uh, you know, different um, places and kind of talk about places that you can go for for a day. You know, if you want to take just a day ride uh, somewhere, we're trying to uncover some cool places that you can go and take the family or a, a first date or something like that and go out and uh, enjoy uh, this area that uh, that I love so much and get a chance to, uh, you know, have a little fun in the process, take that car trip, use that car to do something more than just let it sit in front of the house or go to work in it. All right, time now for the road test. The Drive Time Radio Road Test. Every week, Vinny puts another car through its paces and lets you know the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, not too much ugly about this one this week. It is the Honda Pilot that we get a chance to uh, take a ride in. Uh, I think I've said this before, told you about this before. It's the first time that I've driven Hondas in a while. I had the Acura a couple of weeks ago we did. Uh, but uh, for some reason, back east, I hadn't had a chance to drive a lot of Honda products. So I'm getting reacquainted with it and got a chance to drive the Honda Pilot. And it is, um, well, I'll tell you, I was uh, pleasantly surprised with the Honda as I was with the Acura. 2020 Honda Pilot Black Edition 
which is new for 2020. It's a top-of-the-line edition, which means that they throw everything but the kitchen sink in there. I think one of the sharpest Honda SUVs I've ever driven. It's got a deep black paint job, black wheels, blacked-out windows, black interior. What was cool about this is I was driving it down Alki, and it started getting looks from the uh, Alki Beach car crowd when I was out in West Seattle. They were kind of looking at it. You know, the guys... And, and girls that drive the uh, Civics with the wings on them and the Mitsubishi Lancers and so on and so forth got stopped and looked at this one. So Honda, I think it's smart to get a little cooler with their SUVs and their crossovers. Inside, more black, as I said, nice materials, good soft touch surfaces, easy to get in and out of, very comfortable seats. Even for the folks in the back, it seats eight if you don't get the ca- eight if you don't get the captain's chair. And like I said, lots of room in the back seat. Easy access to the third row. It'll seat eight, six of them very comfortably. All of the tech stuff is there that you're thinking about. Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, Bluetooth. But you're going to want the upgraded infotainment system. The base one eh, leaves a lot to be desired. All of the pilots come with a 280-horsepower V6 engine, six-speed automatic tranny, nine-speed in the... Um, car that I drove with the higher end trims. The V6 delivers power to spare. Uh, Whether you're in the city, you need to make that quick dash into another lane, or to move the pilot on the highway, it'll get you where you're going. Also, handling with the pilot is about what you would expect from a Honda. It is not a car that you want to take out uh, road racing. Or anything like that. Miles Nolan would probably not like driving the pilot, only because it is tuned to be a soft ride. It's a family ride. It's a family car. Even though they dress it up a little bit to make it look sporty, it's still you got to keep in mind that they have a sports uh, a mode there that you can switch it into. It is a family car. It's soft in the curves. Uh, you don't. It is built to be comfortable. It is not built to be a, uh, a race car or, you know, a, a quick car. Uh, if you're out on the road with it, uh, if you hit a lot of bumps, a lot of, uh, you know, things in the road you're going to run across, unless it's a big, major one, uh, it's not going to jar. You're probably not even going to feel it. The towing capacity in the pilot, 5,000 pounds. Uh, and uh, if you have it equipped, properly, which I believe the Black Edition does become equipped properly. Uh, It comes in front-wheel drive, but the Black Edition, I believe, is only all-wheel drive. And uh, again, a very sharp-looking vehicle in in that respect. Um, 20 miles per gallon in all-wheel drive models. Uh, You get 18 to 26 with the 6-speed and 19 to 26 with the 9-speed transmission, which is what the uh, Honda Black Edition has. Um, I thought, you know, when you when you add the reliability of a, a Honda, when you hire, add the safety into it, which gets five stars in the overall crash test, when you get all of the safety features that the Honda has, and you add in um, the cargo space in there, the Honda, I think, starts to become... A pretty decent deal. It's probably a little bit more than the average um, SUV, mid-size SUV that you're going to go out there and buy. 
but I still think you're uh, you're in a good range with this thing. Is um, you're probably gonna. I, I think uh, with the uh, black edition, we were at about forty nine thousand six hundred and twenty. But it is a fully loaded SUV. You can buy them as uh, inexpensively with a base price of thirty one thousand. 550 but again you have to start adding things into it so keep that in mind there are incentives on these cars uh, that are out at different dealers depending on which one you go to and uh, the other thing about it uh, that, that I found is is again it gives uh, a, a, the reliability rating is good on it and the three-year 36,000 mile limited warranty a five-year 60,000 mile powertrain warranty on this vehicle. Look, if you like a Honda, you like a Honda, right? I mean, it's hard to get anybody who's driven a Honda out of a Honda into another car. There are some of the fiercely loyalist automobile purchases I have ever met. I mean, they really love their Hondas, and this gives them an opportunity to drive something that looks a little sporty, is different at the supermarket, and yet um, retains everything that you expect out of a Honda. If I could say one thing about Honda is that there's no surprises in these cars, really. They are exactly what you bargained for. So that is the um, road test of the week. Uh, boy, what a, uh, what, a, what a car that Honda is. Uh, again, I couldn't get over how the hot rodders were kind of checking it out and uh, looking at it. All right. That is going to put it in the books for us for another week. We thank you so much for listening again. Contact us on the Facebook page at drivetimeradioandtv.com or drivetime-radio.com. On the website, Vinny at drivetime-radio.com is the way to go there as well. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Michael for making it all happen. We'll catch up with you next week if the Lord's willing and the creek don't rise right here on Drive Time Radio.